chapter 6. Gospel of Mark, 6th chapter. And we'll begin reading from verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing. And many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he had come out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, and hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. And those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Jesus was a model servant. Though he was the Son of God, he stooped down and washed his disciples' feet. Though he was the Son of God, he fed a multitude. And though he was the Son of God, he spared the blushes of a bridegroom by providing wine at his wedding. Again and again and again exemplified the heart of a servant. And this is what he was trying to teach his disciples and what he's trying to show us too. Notice verse 34. And when he saw them, the crowds, the masses, the families, the individuals, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. What an insightful comment that is. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw the community around him as lost, as hungry, as needy, directionless, like sheep without a shepherd with no one to lead them to green pastures, no one to guard them or guide them, no one to protect them from the lion and the bear, no one to pour in the oil and the wine when they were hurting. No one to give them some shelter, a fold where they could come in and go out and find pasture. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Question, how do we see those around us? How do we see the crowd? How do we see the community? How do we see 
our town, our city? How do we see the masses? Do we see them the way the disciples saw them? As far as the disciples are concerned, they were just an inconvenience. They were just a botheration. Send them away. How do we see people? How do we see our community? Time-consuming, inconvenient. Why should I care? It's too costly anyway. We're worn out helping people. Sure, you get no thanks for it anyway. And anyway, I want my needs met first. Or do we see them as sheep without a shepherd? Because when Jesus looked at people, he looked at them differently, didn't he? Listen to the disciples' reasoning with the Master. Hear the excuses. And really, these are just excuses. Listen to what they said. Verse 35. Say, the day is far spent. Already the hour is late. In other words, it's the wrong time. It's the wrong time. When it comes to serving others or not, as the case may be, often the problem is not our time, it's our willingness and our desire to do it. That's the problem. And that was their problem. Yes, they were tired. Yes, it was a busy day. Yes, Jesus had told them to come apart for a while. Yes, they needed some rest. All of that is true. But when the need arose, Jesus was up for it. He wasn't going to let the opportunity pass. But the disciples were. He said, it's the wrong time. In Luke chapter 14... In verse 15, the parable of the Great Supper. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, sent a servant at supper time to say, Come to those who were invited. Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. Not reasons, excuses. Somebody said that an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. (laughs) It's a good definition, isn't it? So they began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you, have me excused. Now, let's just stop for a moment. You have to understand, in those days when invitations were given out, different than today, the only thing they knew was the date when the supper would happen. They didn't know the hour, but they knew the day. And so they would be told, say, on the 25th of, I am inviting you all, specifically people, to my home for a banquet. So in other words, they gave them advance notice so they could prepare for that. If there was other things they could shuffle about and keep that date free, that was the reason for that. But then on that particular day, then another invitation out, come for all things are now ready. Come, say at five o'clock, we're ready for you now. So these people were without excuse. 
They already had been told in advance that there was going to be a supper. They already should have made preparation for it. So when it comes on the day when they're getting that final call, then they began to make excuses because they really didn't want to go. That's the thing. Jesus teaches this for a reason, which I really, the context I haven't time to go into tonight because it's not really my subject, but just listen to those excuses. They all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask you, have me excused. Can you imagine why anybody would buy ground before they even saw it? And how are they going to see it in the dark? It's the evening time when the suppers were held. It's not 11 o'clock in the morning. It's going to be dark. So it's really an excuse. Or if it was true, then the man was an idiot. But it was an excuse. Have me excused. Then the second one said, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you, have me excused. So what's he going to do? Is he going to plow by the light of the moon? <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's amazing how many excuses people comes up with to disobey, to not do what God wants them to do. But then another said, and this is the worst one, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. <laughs> What's he going to say now? <laughs> With the Minister of Home Affairs sitting in the front row? <laughs> she says, be afraid, be very afraid. <laughs> I heard her say on the clever. This is... <laughs> This is the worst excuse of all. And I'll tell you why. It's because he's appealing to Scripture. See, in Deuteronomy 24, it tells you very clearly that if a man married a wife, for one year he's exempt from the battlefield. But he wasn't exempt from this banquet. He was exempt from fighting, but he wasn't exempt from the feast. As if, as if the Lord wouldn't know the Scriptures. This is the Word of God in living flesh. So this wasn't going to wash with him. It's amazing how people can twist Scriptures to, to, try, to, to try to somehow get out of God's will by appealing to Scripture. This is what he was doing. But it was only an excuse. And it didn't wash. It didn't work. I've married a wife. Therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house being angry said to his servant. Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. And bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded. Still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges. Compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. 
By the way, the context of that was Jesus was exposing the Pharisees and, and the religious Jewish leaders. The Old Testament gave the invitation that the Messiah would come. And then when he did come, the hour to come to him was now. And they began to make excuses. They wouldn't accept it. Did you ever hear someone say, if only I had served God when I was younger? Man told me one time, in all earnestness, he said, when I was a young man, God called me to missions, and I didn't do it. And he says, I've lived with the regret for the rest of my life. I didn't do it. And it was too late. If only I had more time to spare. If only I had a more convenient hour. Serving God, you have two choices. Either by convenience or by commitment. If you serve God by convenience, you will make every excuse in the book not to do it. It will never be convenient for you. There will always be something getting in the way. But if you're committed you will find a way to serve God, even if it's inconvenient. And there's a big difference between the two. A lot of service in God's kingdom is highly inconvenient. But when you're committed, you do it anyway. You get on with it. It's never too late to serve God, never too late to serve people. You may be pushing 40, 50, 60, 70, maybe even 80, but it's never too late you can find a way. So they said it's the wrong time. Verse 35, it's the wrong place. This is a deserted place. Notice it doesn't say a desert place. We know it wasn't a desert place because we read earlier he made them to sit down on the green grass. So this wasn't a sandy desert, but it was a deserted place, a lonely place, an out-of-the-way place. There wasn't a town there, there wasn't a village there, there was big open spaces, a deserted place. What do people think about Moira? Tell you what the people in Belfast think. I think we're out, because we have relations, they think we're out in the sticks. Might as well be a million miles away. 18 miles down the motorway, but it might as well be Dublin or Cork, as far as they're concerned. Before I ever came to Moira, Sally and I, to raise up this church, I was never in Moira in my life. I couldn't have told you where it was on the map. <laughs> I know where it is now, all right. To some it's a bump in the road, it's a one-horse town. The only thing it's famous for is sausages and flowers. <laughs> I don't know about the sausages, but the flowers are not very good at times. Every time we drive up and down the street, Sally says to me, it was definitely a man, pick those flowers. <laughs> There's no woman would have put flowers they got together. What's your deserted place? 
factory floor, an office, row of houses, classroom, state where you live, mission station in Africa. See, this deserted place wasn't as deserted as the disciples thought that it was. There was 5,000 people there that day. It's amazing who you can find in a deserted place if you're looking. If you want to reach out and help somebody. Do you remember in Acts 8, Philip, the evangelist, was having a great crusade in Samaria. Lots of people getting saved, people getting healed, <laughs> devils being cast out, miracles happening, and suddenly the angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, get out of here and go to Gaza. And in my New King James, it says to a desert place. But when I look down on the margin, it says to a deserted place. And who did he find there? One man. The Ethiopian eunuch. In all of that great expanse, there was one man, Ethiopian eunuch. And he led him to the Lord. And it must have been beside water. He says, what does hinder me to be baptized? There's water here. And he got baptized. In all of that deserted place, there was one person. In all of Samaria, there was that one woman at the well. And Jesus met her there and saved her. And the instant she became an evangelist, didn't she? She got the whole town saved, the whole village. There may be one person in that office, one person in that factory floor, one person in that row of houses, one person in that classroom, one person in that estate. If we can reach out and touch them. Jesus went out of his way crossed over Galilee to find one man among the tombs. The demonized man. And he set him free, didn't he? And he came back again. And he wanted to come with Jesus. Who wouldn't? But he says, no, stay. Tell your family. And he stayed. What a testimony. It's the wrong place, they said. It's a deserted place. It was the right place. And the right people was there at the right time. Then they said in verse 36, Send them away. Let them buy bread for themselves. In other words, we're the wrong people. <coughs> Who, me, Lord? <laughs> We're the wrong people. Haven't got the resources. Can't possibly hope to meet the needs of all these people. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii of bread? That's six months' wages to the average man in those days. Even went out and bought that, it still would not be enough. I mean, they calculated it. They counted it up. It would cost them too much. So they said, send them away. Have you ever felt that you hadn't enough? 
resources, financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically, to do what God wants you to do. Do you ever feel that? Anger's times we've all felt that, if we're honest. Lord, please don't give me anything more to do. I'm snowed under. You know, the Lord uses busy people. Do you know that? The Lord never uses lazy people. <laughs> he uses busy people. And the busier you are, the more the Lord will use you. So notice what they said. Lord, you send them away. Now, it was their idea, wasn't it? It was never the Lord's idea to send them away. It was their idea. They wanted them away. But they wanted to be really spiritual about it. They wanted the Lord to send them away. See, it's not really me, it's the Lord. The Lord doesn't want this. It's amazing what the Lord gets blamed for. Well, you know, I know you're hungry, but the Lord says you have to go away and buy bread for yourself. See, that would make them feel good. They wouldn't feel guilty because the Lord said. It's amazing what people blame the Lord on. The Lord never said it in a million years. What they said, the Lord said. And that's what they were trying here. Well, if you just get the Lord to say it, well, then there's no argument with that. Sure there's not. The Lord told me. How do you argue with that? You know how I argue with that? Well, let's see. Hasn't told me, so let's see. When he tells me, then we can get an agreement. You're very careful how many times people say, the Lord told me. You send them away. Notice how Jesus responded to all of this. <laughs> First thing he says was, you give them something to eat. You do it. You want them to send away. Why would anybody want to send needy people away from the Lord? Why would you want to do that? You want them to come to the Lord, don't you? Because he's the only one who's going to meet the need. He was the only one standing that day could meet the needs of those people. He was the only one. And they wanted to send them away from the one who would be their source that day. So he said, you give them something to eat. You reach out. It's your responsibility. But Lord, it's the wrong time. It's the wrong place. We're the wrong people. You give them something to eat. He just ignored all their excuses, didn't he? Have you ever felt the Lord was ignoring all your excuses? And he nailed you. And you knew that you had to do this. Because all the excuses wasn't going to wash anymore. You had to do it. You give them something to eat. And once you decide then to step out in obedience, it's amazing what can happen. Verse 38. What do you have, he says. How many loaves have you got? Five. And two fish. This is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. So if you look at all four Gospels, you'll get a bigger picture. Some leaves out bits, some includes other bits. John talks about the little boy. So we know where the five loaves and two fish came from. How many have you got? Five, two fish. But... What are they among so many? 
Because right now, all they can see is in the natural realm. It's all they can see. It's all they've got. What are they among so many? Lord, look, there must be at least 5,000 men here plus women and children. Can you not see we've only got five loaves and two fish as if the Lord was blind? As if he didn't know that. As if he didn't see the multitude. But if we read the other Gospels, we'll see that when he asked the question, he already knew the answer. Before God asks us the question, he already knows the answer. He's already got the answer before he asks. But he wants to encourage us to believe and to trust. And so the demand had exceeded, succeeded the supply. When you serve others for Christ's sake, listen to me, the demand will always outstrip the supply unless God supplies. The demands on you will always outstrip your supply unless God is the supplier to you. And they didn't know it at that moment. All they knew was the demand has outstripped our supply. We have five loads, two fishes, there's 5,000 people, there's maybe 10,000 altogether. That's the demand on us, and we haven't got the supply. But they didn't know that Jesus was going to give them the supply if they trusted him and believed him. Serving the Lord is always going to stretch you. Make demands in your times, your energies, your emotions, your finances, your patience, your perseverance, everything and more. But God gives the grace. God gives the ability. God meets the need. He always gives the supply. If it's in his will and his purpose, and if we have trusted and we have stepped out to do it, God will supply. Notice here, verses 39 and 40, that Jesus organized them into, into little communities by hundreds and by fifties. And notice that he commanded that they all sit down in groups and ranks of hundreds and fifties. Now, isn't this interesting? You see, the word sit down is not like just like me just sitting on a chair like this. We think of sit down, that's what we think. But the word sit down there means to lie down, to recline, to totally relax and be at peace. You're about to be fed. Because that's in the East, that's the way they would eat. In their homes, they would recline. You know that picture of Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper all sitting in chairs? Not true. They would be reclining. And John would be closest to him, leaning against him, reclining. So he's, he's, he's literally telling them to lie down on the green <coughs> pastures. What is Psalm 23? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. In little groups, in ranks. And the word ranks literally means garden plots or garden beds. Some of you have a little, in your garden you have a little plot, maybe vegetables, maybe flowers. And you lay them all out in rows, don't you? 
And so this would be organized. It would be in an orderly fashion. There'd be no bumping and boring to get this food. Now remember, they're hungry. And out of all those thousands, the only one that had any food was one little boy with five barley loaves and two small fishes. So you can be sure they're hungry. They've been there all day listening to the master. Do you ever see in those humanitarian relief things sometimes, you'll see maybe Ethiopia or somewhere where a truck drives up and suddenly there's thousands of people all wanting that truckload of food and it's not enough to get probably for 200 people, never mind 5,000 people. And what happens? They're fighting, they're bumping, they're boring, they're pushing, they're shoving. It's just chaos, isn't it? So Jesus gets them to calm down and to lie down and to relax. He's going to organize this, and it's going to be done in orderly fashion. God is not the author of confusion. Let all things be done decently and in order. God's a God of order. And so he gets them to sit down, lie down. Of course, it would make it easier, would it not, for the disciples then to walk among them, make it easier to distribute You know, whenever we have our fun days and whenever we have our community projects, we have to order it, don't we? It has to be planned. There has to be people stationed. There has to be certain things set up. You know, it's just not a big free-for-all. Sure it's not. Except the burger stand. Remember the year there was thunder and lightning that was coming down like sheets of steroids and everybody scattered to the trees and the only people that didn't move was the burger line. (laughs) (laughs) They're really standing for an hour at that point. They're not going to (laughs) shift. And by the time it was over, they were soaked, but they got their burger. (laughs) Or perhaps Jesus was trying to get them to see, his disciples to get them to see, see the people not just as a mass, but as little groups. Now, every community has got its little groups, hasn't it? Every church has got its little groups. Well, there's the women, there's the men, there's the children. There's different age groups. There's mums and tots. You know, there's youth, there's Sunday school. We, we, we form little groups. That's our makeup. That's human nature. And so Jesus didn't look at the mass and just see a great crowd He could see little groups and he could see individuals and he could see families. Jesus just doesn't lump everybody together and treat everybody the same. If you look through all the times Jesus met people and talked to them all individually, there wasn't one size fits all here. He treated everybody as a complete individual. It's amazing what happens when God blesses what you give him. Whenever they get the five loaves and two fishes, they give it to Jesus. It's all they had. It's all they could offer. Didn't have any more. You can only give what you've got. But in God's hands, if that's all you've got, that can be enough. That can be enough. Five loaves, two fishes, 
What's he going to do? He looks up to heaven first of all. And he blesses it. And he breaks it. And he gives it to them. Now it doesn't tell us at that point whether he just kept breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking or else he gave them pieces and as they went out and they broke that it began to multiply. It doesn't tell us. It could be either way. But that little handful is all that was required if it was given. And if all of it was given. I wonder if that little boy said, well, I've got five loaves and two fishes and you can have one of each. I don't think he, well, the Lord could have worked with that, but I don't think he would have got any blessing out of it. And he kept breaking it. The disciples kept giving it. And what happened? And they all ate, and all were filled. And there was 12 baskets left over. Potential to enrich the lives of others greatly increases when you give all that you've got. So they all ate and were filled. Here's a wonderful thing in closing. Every one of us tonight, believers, we have got something that we can give to every man. We have got the bread of life himself that will satisfy every man on earth if we give him. If we reach out, they can be filled. They all ate and they were all filled. Nobody went home hungry that day. Their bellies were full. And we have got the bread of life. And if we give somebody the bread of life, it will fill them and they won't go home hungry. Amen? So, what have you got tonight? What can you give? May not be much. There's others who may have much more. They may be much more talented. Maybe cleverer than you are. Maybe much more gifted in many ways. Maybe have more finances. Maybe have more time in their hands. But what have you got? If you give it to Him, then you can change lives. You can enrich so many other people's lives by giving what you got to him to use to touch people. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we don't know how this happens. It's a miracle. It's a mystery. But somehow, if we give you our lives, small as they may be, Something changes. Something miraculous happens to us and to others through us. So we give you what we've got tonight, Lord. Whatever it is, we offer it up to reach the hungry people. Thank you, Lord, for this, for giving us the privilege as well as the responsibility to reach out beyond ourselves and touch the lives of those around us. 
Thank you for the community that you've placed us in as well as you've placed others in to be a witness and a testimony to the goodness of God in this town. Help us, Lord, to reach it. Help us to take the bread of life into every home in this town for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.